0: Today on Let Me Be Frank, a special guest. Father Colin Lomnitzer is the newest ordained priest in the Diocese of Bridgeport. He was just ordained in June. And so Bishop Cacciano has him on today to talk about his vocation story and also and formation and the life of a young priest. This is sure to be a fun and inspiring conversation. So keep it right here at 1350 AM and 103.9 FM or on the Veritas mobile app on your phone. If you don't yet have the app, go right now and get it from the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or VeritasCatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from our wonderful sponsor, Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing, lifelong formation and discipleship, and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I am Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure as always to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano,
1: Steve, nice to be with you, my friend.
0: Nice to see you, Excellency. Yeah. I'm I'm uh I'm talking to you uh from <laughs> uh Camp Veritas. Oh, good for you. Ryan and Elizabeth Young say hello to you. Yes, tell them I said hello. Yeah, that's a good that's a great operation, isn't it? I is excellent. Excellent. It's my first time here. So.
1: Oh, so are you helping out? I'm
0: I'm a volunteer. I'm a counselor for a group of boys and uh and my son my 16 year old son is a is a camper but not in my group so he wanted me yeah. close but not too close
1: yeah yeah well i
0: don't blame him <laughs> <laughs> but um you know i wanted to say uh i was thinking as i was sitting here waiting for you to log on that um one of the things i'm so thankful for with our show your show is that When you have guests on, we get to hear stories and testimonies and perspectives that maybe most listeners might not otherwise be privy to, and to share those with people.
1: Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And today's guest is um, a newly ordained priest who's had a very interesting history with many gifts and talents. And we're going to pick his brain. That's what yes.
0: I to do today. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'll give him a, a proper introduction. Um, although that teaser was fantastic, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, Father Colin Lamnitzer who grew up in Trumbull, Connecticut. In 2005, Father Lamnitzer and his family were received into full communion uh, of the Roman Catholic Church at the parish of Saint Catherine of Siena in Trumbull, after having been members of the Episcopal Church. Father graduated from Fairfield Prep in 2014 and then headed off to Catholic University in DC. But after two years at Catholic U, he came back to Connecticut and entered St. John Fisher Seminary in Stanford, where he got his BA in philosophy, summa cum laude, in 2018. And he also graduated summa cum laude from St. Joseph Seminary at Dunwoody, where he got a bachelor's of sacred theology, a master's of divinity, and a master's of arts in theology. So he's kind of a uh, an overachiever.
1: <laughs> well, did I not tell you he was bright? He had gifts and talents? Exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Father Lomniter happens to be the newest ordained priest in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and he's been assigned to the great St. Mary's Parish in Ridgefield, Connecticut.
1: Bias, bias,
0: bias. <laughs> Father Colin Lomnitzer, thank you for joining us. What a pleasure to have you here with us today.
1: Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Bishop. It's always good to see you. Well, oh, it's always good to see you, my friend. So tell me, <laughs> what type of parishioner is, uh, is Steve here? Tell us the truth now. Tell the whole world. <laughs> He's good. He's very faithful. His whole family's here. It's very nice. His family is lovely. Right? It's, we we share God a blessing. hallway. <laughs> 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 well, that's right, because the headquarters are very tough, at least as of now, is at St. Mary's.
0: Yes, yeah, right, right down exactly. the hall.
1: That's right. Yeah. So now, Father, I always ask this question. I, I, I think you know this, but if not, um, you will now hear it. Everyone who comes on, everyone who comes on the podcast, is asked to tell that to tell us your uh, vocation story. So, how did you get to be a priest of Jesus Christ? Besides Christ's grace and the Holy Ghost, how tell us what was the path, the journey? Yeah,
2: well, there's like a lot of like mini stories and and
1: uh, part of the we big large story. We yeah. love stories here. Go. <laughs>
2: well a big moment was the uh the conversion of of my family to the to the Catholic Church. I was eight at the time, but the the episcopal church was sort of um the foundation of my family. My mom was very faithful we would she would teach Sunday school. me and my brothers we were the we were the choir and we were the servers you know, we did everything that we could um at St Paul's and fairfield and then Um, you know, family of of four boys, including myself, Sundays became sports days, travel days, uh, just, just, uh, we were traveling all over new England for, for soccer. And then my brothers playing football. So Sundays are, are sacred for other reasons, uh, in that kind of family. So we just stopped going to church and, um, it left a real gap in, in our lives as a young kid. It didn't really seemed to make much of a difference to me. I, I mean, I remember feeling kind of like Sundays were like weird, lazy days, but I remember, you know, I always liked going to church. Um, so that was never uh, like a, a like an excited thing, like we're going to stop going to church. But um, so my mom and dad were having these conversations um, that uh, I've I kind of just learned about in recent years of kind of like where to where to go, how to solve this issue? How can we go get the kids back to church? Because for my my mom, mostly, um, she wanted the church to be the foundation of our moral lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wanted us to be good, good men, good boys. So um, they started looking at other Protestant churches. And uh, in my father's words, um, they became a little left-leaning in the sense of theologically they were getting a little too involved into politics, uh, that my parents didn't want us to hear about. Um, they didn't think it was appropriate for our age. They didn't think it was appropriate in church. They wanted to hear about Jesus Christ, uh, his, and our relationship with him. And then, you know, kind of go from there. So my dad was a prep grad as well, 1980. And then from prep he finished college at Providence College. So he had a Jesuit high school education and a Dominican uh, college education. My favorite story from that is when he met a Dominican at Providence, one of the Dominicans said, oh, so the Jesuits taught you, now we're gonna teach you the right way. <laughs>
1: Whoa, disclaimer. <laughs> Veritas does not hold all the opinions of our guests. <laughs>
2: No, I I have a great, I have lots of fun and love with the Jesuits, but I just that that was one Dominican's opinion. Um, so so my dad has all these fond memories of of high school, of his relationship with the Jesuits. They would always, you know, be very involved in the students' lives, and so that prep was more than just a, a school for my dad. It was a really a, a sense of community, um, really centered on the faith, um, which was my experience. For the most part, there um, at this communal school, and there were a lot more Jesuits there when my dad was was there. So he had always seen priests in a very positive light. And then my dad was, uh, who is a Protestant, was super involved in campus ministry. These priests, these Dominican friars, saw something in my dad, and like they were like, "You got to get everyone to come to come to our mass and stuff." So my dad was had these great, really providential moments in his life where where priests were very influential and and a good example so he said to my mom why don't we think about becoming catholic and for my mom uh that was kind of a, a big proposal because uh my family was english english uh very church of england very very proper my 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 mimi my mom's mom gets very upset when i say i was protestant she said, no, we were not Protestant. We were Anglican. Um, so they, they have a very particular view of, of, of the church. So, and my mom's whole life, her whole social circle was, was the Church of England. So my mom surprisingly said, okay, it didn't take much of a fight. Um, there was clearly some movements going on in her heart as well. And so we did the Catholic tour. We had the four churches in Trumbull. Uh, one Sunday in Advent um, in 2004, we we went. Um, we found a home at St. Catherine of Siena, where uh, Monsignor Shea was the pastor, and the, the late Father DeMarco um, was was there as a as a pro vicar, and he um, he kind of helped guide our family into the church. And so, this is a very long way of saying that on the Easter Vigil in 2005, I was at the age where I could receive my first Holy Communion. And so I I really believe that um, all my parents' hard work and conversion led to that moment, which was really like a a very vivid memory of of me receiving communion at the Easter Vigil and this, you know, beautiful, long liturgy um, that kind of, I think, laid the foundation for um, my understanding of what the priest is, uh, what the Eucharist is, its importance in our lives because really that was the biggest difference between becoming uh, an Episcopal from going to Episcopalian to, to Catholic was we have the real presence. We believe that Jesus Christ is truly present in the right. Eucharist, a truth that kind of took me a, a little longer to to accept. And so that's kind of where I say there's kind of a pause in my faith life from middle school uh, until Probably about my freshman or sophomore year of high school because that we were kind of just I wouldn't say going through the motions, but you know the routine of of church. We would serve mass. Um, Monsignor Shea hired me. My first job was working the parish grounds at St. Catherine. So I was always invo- involved around the church. But for me, it was nothing else rather than just like this is where I this is where I go. Um, this is what we do. Um, then I think it was my freshman year. Going into my sophomore year of high school, the the fraternas, the Marian Community of Reconciliation, they took a a group of high school students up to the North American Martyrs in uh, Arsville, New York, right on the border. And um, this was my first encounter with sort of this idea that, that our history isn't so far from saints And that it was very real. It was kind of the first place of pilgrimage where I was like, saints were here, saints died here. Um, So I remember we were standing on the hill where Isaac Jogues and his companions, their ship would have come in, and that it was the hill that they would have walked up while they were being beaten. Um, So I was thinking about this, and you know, one of the tour guides and the priests were telling us the story of of Isaac Jogues that. You know, he had his fingers gnawed off uh, for the faith. Um, they sent him back to France, and then he wouldn't leave his room until they asked until he was sent back to America. Even though he would know that he was going to die, um, but he wanted to do that because he wanted to bring the faith. He wanted to minister and be with with these people and share with them the good news. So I remember thinking, uh, either. Either Isaac Joes is an absolute psychopath and like is crazy, or like that, that doesn't make any sense, or this has to be real. It was kind of you know just a little bit of a wager, and I was like, I don't, I don't know what I believe. I don't know what to think. And then we had um, a moment of adoration where right before mass, it was a period uh, of adoration and confessions were were offered. And so I remember looking at the mantrance and, and thinking like, and just like asking, like, are you really Jesus? Like, are you God? Like, how is that possible? And then for somehow I, I found myself uh, in the sacrament of confession and I, you know, wasn't a really big fan of confession at the time, telling a stranger all, all that I was doing I wrong.
1: I take it. No yes. times have changed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Now I'm a big fan.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and so, uh, and I, I was just like, "Well, it, this seems to be a place where I either give it all or I give nothing." And so I, I, you know, I let it all out. I everything that was on my mind, I confessed. Um, and I, I remember, I, you know, I'm Bishop. You know me. I'm not really a touchy feely kind of person, mm-hmm. but I had this overwhelming sense of God's presence mm-hmm. uh, in the sacrament of confession. And then I remember going back at, out into the church where with the church that the martyrs had built, looking at the monstrance and saying, okay, you, you are Jesus, you are God, you have to be. Um, and then that was kind of a moment where uh, it all kind of started falling into place, you know, a vocation director seems to have a, a sixth sense for these kinds of things, these movements in a, in a teenager's mind. So. Um, I think Father Canali and Father Sam Kachuba were a part of the vocations team, you know, involved in that. So I began to meet meet them and talk to them. And this idea of um, discerning a, a priestly vocation came from the fact that they were talking to my older brother, Tyler, who kind of also introduced the idea to me and saying, like, you know, we are all obligated to discern whether or not we are called to be priests um and so it was my brother's first example um and which got me connected with these priests Like got me even thinking about the idea um because it was always like that's really cool for that person like i had started to meet some seminarians it's like these guys are are fun that's where i met um my good friend father eric silva when he was in seminary um so it was just like this is so good for them that's great for
1: them. but then it was
2: still for them, <laughs> For them. It's, yeah, it' like uh, i don't I don't know, I don't see it, and then, um, you know, I am but it got to a point where at the end of high school, I had actually had an application in to the seminary, and I remember the day before deposits were due, I did what any normal teenager would do uh the day before a big decision. I went to the seminary and prayed a holy hour with the seminarians, and <laughs> yeah, and then uh. And then what happened? And then I went to Father Sam's office and told him, I'm not coming. I'm not going to seminary. Uh, you are in a long line of people who do that. <laughs> no, but, and I, and you know, the one thing that I appreciated about Father Sam at the time is he was genuinely interested in in why, how I had come to that decision. I mean, he was very, his only concern was that it was a, a proper discernment and that I wasn't like, I just, I just don't want to do this. And I told him the reason is I had felt like it had become an expectation of me that I wasn't doing it because it was something that I truly desired, but it's because it's what my friends and family think is the logical next step. And I didn't want to enter into something that I wasn't fully committed to, fully uh in for. Um and then so uh I that's when I made the decision to go to Catholic University. I think it was important for me to kind of get out of uh, the diocese out of kind of away from my family kind of just to kind of create my own path you know not the vision of our path of self-discovery but just a a sense of can I be out in the world on my own and just take on some responsibility um so then of course a, a, a tale as old as time I guess I'm I met a girl in college and I was like Seminary, that's never happening. Uh, we, we dated almost my entire freshman year. And the, uh, the beauty of that relationship really was that, um, you know, there's no better person to point out all your flaws than, than, than a woman who's very close to you, in, in all honesty and all love and all charity. And so um, that relationship helped me grow a lot. It helped me re- renew my appreciation for family life and married life. So that when we, when she broke up with me, um, there wasn't a bitterness, but rather a peace, a peacefulness of, of, I saw both vocations in their proper light. And I wasn't, I didn't have any Mars or wounds looking into either marriage life or priesthood, but I I began to boil down a discernment um, to, it can't be a choice between celibacy and married life, it can't be a choice um, between this or that, what it boils down to is God is calling me to be a faithful Christian man, and if I don't have that down, then it doesn't matter what kind of father He's calling me to be, because I'm just going to be a chump. So that's when I kind of started focusing on, okay, what? How am I supposed to be a man? How am I supposed to live uh, manly virtues at, at, in college? And then as soon as I started. I started that was kind of settling in, you know, it was through good friendships, role models, um, being involved, working hard, growing in discipline. It was in that sense where it became very clear what kind of father uh, God was asking you to be, was to be a, a spiritual father through his priest. And then again, a, a line of providence, that was when the Holy father came to Washington DC to canonize you And it was it was at the basilica yeah so i was outside in fact off the side of the basilica right yeah exactly so i was in the crowd the large crowd of people and i remember uh very few things about that day but in the holy father's homily he quoted uh sort of a motto a mantra of uniperasara which was you know siempre adelante always forward always forward and so it, it kind of like just stuck with me um And I I couldn't shake it. And I, you know, just going to the chapel and praying, like always forward, like, why is this in my head? Why can't I get this out? Um, And it was realizing that like, I was kind of not taking the next step. That There was a path in front of me and I was kind of just standing in the path, looking ahead, going like, I kind of like it here. (laughs) Um, But it was that sort of a moment of clarity where I was like, no, I. We need to always be moving forward. I need to take the next step, and I think why I was hesitant is because that it, there was no denying that the next step was to enter seminary and to take uh, my discernment seriously in an environment where um, it could happen, where it, the only environment where I think discernment right. to the priesthood could happen. Right. right. And so that brought me to St. John Fisher Seminary, and I, I had not looked back uh, since then. And it, you know, it was. Formation's tough and and difficult because you're, you're, I always tell people you're being confronted with yourself, your whole self. And so some of the parts, you know, you don't like so much. Um, But that's, I was in a place where I had uh, resources to um, to a therapist, to a spiritual director, to, to great priest mentors, to the closeness to you Bishop uh, throughout my time in seminary, all these, all these people who are, who are looking out for you and, and, And helping you, you know, these these, the areas of growth were never uh, held against me, but they were saying like, you know, held in front of me as an opportunity to grow closer to who God created me to be and grow closer to God. So through that through that entire process, you know, there's there had never been a doubt in my mind that, uh, you know, I had taken the next I had taken the right step, Um, and then six years, it seemed so long. And now looking back, it seemed like okay. it was just a blink a of an blink eye. Of the eye, right? Yeah. It's a blink of the eye. Mm-hmm. And now I'm a priest for over two months. And uh, I just, I couldn't have imagined um, sort of these last two months or what they could have been. Uh-huh. Um, it's its
1: beyond sort of anything that uh-huh. I could have thought up for my own self.
3: Uh-huh.
1: Whatever, it's a remarkable story. Um, and i you and I have shared with it you know, privately in our conversation, and I'm very grateful you shared it with all our listeners. May I just go back, you know, to have a family convert in its totality is, was very much the ancient church, right? And the Mm -hmm. ancient church, that's exactly what happened. And in some ways, if my memory serves me correctly, infant baptism began practically in part because of family conversions in the very early church, like in the first five or six decades of the church's life. So when you look back on that, um, what do you remember of the Episcopal Church? I'm just curious. What What's one memory that you kind of cherish looking back and saying, you know, I am who I am now, but that kind of laid the foundation for you, too. So was it a big congregation, a small congregation? Was it? So I remember the church as being huge, but I think that's because I was a
2: little kid. Um, so... Um, I drove by the church, the old church the other day and I was like, this is like tiny, like okay. small, like smaller than St. <laughs> Mary's. Um, so, but I do remember the the musical heritage and mm-hmm. sort of the liturgy. Uh, mm-hmm. there was, we had the communion rail. We received, uh, communion, mm-hmm. kneeling, um, singing in the choir was big though. The music in the, and the liturgy that was, I think probably foundational and just like, yeah, so one of my friends went to a, an, an Anglican service uh, for Evensong, song, their evening evening prayer for sung vespers, and he came back and said, "He goes, I understand you now because yes. I guess I have those tendencies towards that kind of
1: those that style of music yeah, which and which is beautiful, yeah, which the is high beautiful. church liturgy, yeah, yeah. The other thing too, if I may, is I admire both your parents. The fact that your mom really didn't hesitate." For the good of her family, particularly her sons, and leaving all her friends, and and I presume she didn't leave them, but I mean to leave the comfort in there. That's tremendous. It really yeah. is tremendous.
2: Mm-hmm. No,
1: a lot of courage, and that she's yeah. been
2: kind of always been that example of um, we need to do what is what is right, uh, and it's always it, it is selfless too. It's all for her boys.
1: Um, yeah, right. right. and what a what a set you are your brothers yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's very different <laughs> very different personalities <laughs> yes all very different yeah i think we have to go for a break well first that was fascinating so when we come back i want to talk about priesthood
0: yes okay. father Colin, father laminator where where do you fall in line of the uh of the boys i'm the third uh of the four okay all yeah, right Cool. So you're listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency is having a great conversation with Father Colin Lamnitzer, newly ordained priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport. And we will be right back after the break.
3: If you're concerned about your end of life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option five to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select Option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, Bishop Caggiano has on as a special guest this week, Father Colin Lomnitzer, Newly ordained priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, just gave his uh, testimony. And, And I'm curious to see where you go from here, Excellency.
1: Oh, we're going right into the heart of the matter. I have said often on this podcast that when I look back on my formation as a seminarian, and I look at the formation that contemporary seminarians have undergone, it really is light years ahead now of what we used to have. Because as much as I would like to say that we had this holistic formation, which in some sense we did, but the idea was unspoken that keep your nose clean, don't cause trouble to get ordained. Otherwise they'll throw you out. It's remarkable how now Seminarians are very fortright about their challenges and they're very honest about the things they struggle with to their credit and to their benefit. So Father, I want you to talk to me about, or talk to us about your experience at St. Joseph's Seminary. What, 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 explain to the person who has never gone to the major theology, what is seminary like? Cause you're still close enough to it that you could talk authorita- authoritatively about it. What is seminary like these days? <clears throat>
2: Yeah, I think the temptation is to kind of reduce it to a, an academic program where it's it's four years of, of deep uh, graduate level theological studies. Um, like Steve had said, you know, at St. Joseph's, we have the opportunity to get three degrees. And so people seem to think like that takes up a, a lot of your time. But really, I have, I have three classes in the mornings, maybe three hours a day of classes, and then the rest... Was kind of open to other activities, so you know, Monsignor Peter Vicari, who was the rector uh, when I started St. Joseph Seminary, um, he would always say that we are we are here to form men after the heart of Jesus Christ, and this was something that Father Chack had instilled in us at at St. John Fisher was, you know, how do we become men like David, men after the heart of Christ, formed in His Sacred Heart. So that was always kind of just the crux of it was the primary goal of major seminary was always working on our relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. If we're going to be his priests and we're going to act in persona Christi, we need to know him and be familiar with him and be o- almost one with him. And taking the example from the apostles, you know, who who were with Jesus at every waking moment. Um, how do we do that? And so uh. The Big part of seminary is just your daily routine. What's your plan of life? Um, are you waking up and praying? Uh, when are you doing
1: that? How are you doing that? So, what was your daily routine? A typical day in the life of a seminary like yourself? Maybe I'll tell you about my ideal day. Uh, <laughs> I tell, give us the ideal day. That's fair. <laughs>
2: yeah. So, I would um, try to be up around six o'clock, um, have coffee, get ready for the morning, and then go to the chapel and do my holy hour In my holy hour. I'd usually do, you know, the office of readings and then um, try to do mental prayer or focus um, uh, on the scriptures of the day or, or something like that. Or sometimes really a lot of seminary for me was getting into the practice of being able to sit in the presence of the Lord and practice silence and and listening. Uh, A lot of my fruitful prayer came from that because the temptation is kind of to fill your holy hour. With oh yeah! This Absolutely. and that reading, or so, music
1: for that matter, and there's no silence, right? Which is yeah, exactly so
2: that. So then, um, as my holy hour was wrapping up, it'd be time to do uh, morning prayer uh, in community at the seminary. So we would all go to the main chapel and we we would pray morning prayer together. And then, right after morning prayer, I I go to my room, get ready for class, and then about three hours uh 8 30 to 11 30 we'd have class three periods
1: well, what was your favorite class what was the one that you found the most interesting fascinating in the theological world the most interesting well uh we had a whole class on the Eucharist uh we
2: had oh. like one class for each of the seven sacraments and um that was that was fascinating um it, because you know we had a book that's that was this thick, uh, maybe about two or three inches thick, um, on the, the history of the Eucharist from the early church. Now it um, was very fascinating, um, and also like the like the practical stuff, like the practicums, like how to say how to say mass, how to hear confessions, how to hear confessions practicum is a lot of fun because you have faculty members who pretend to be penitents, mm-hmm. and some of them are a little better actors than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that class, um, prepared me very well for mm-hmm. spending a lot of time. Uh, luckily at St. Mary's, we have confessions every day. So I, I'm here. I've been hearing plenty of confessions.
1: Great. Great. All right. So you're up till lunchtime. You're up to 1130. Then what happens? So then
2: 1130, uh, we get ready for mass Mass is at noon, uh, at Dunwoody. That was the, the school of thought was. Noon is the midpoint of the day, and the mass should be the highest point of the day. So, the morning was supposed to be seen as a as a preparation uh, for the mass, and then the afternoon was to be uh, an act of thanksgiving for the mass. So that's how they, ideally, the day was was structured. So we'd have mass and community, then after mass, uh, the second most important thing, lunch, um, and then we had periods of time. For recreation and study, so I would usually um, take a nap, or I would go. We'd play soccer sometimes, or go for walks, or um, do homework. Get homework done.
1: What about what about house jobs? Did you have a house job? Uh, yeah, so one of my,
2: my house job early on was the house MC. So all the liturgies were were my house job, and then later on, uh, I was the manager of the the bookstore and the editor of the one of the editors of the Dunwoody Review or Theological. Oh. So yeah, that, w- that would be a time where I would do work on that stuff. Uh some of the guys had SCOLA was their house job. So they would have rehearsal once a week for mm-hmm. a long time. Those guys worked hard. So then um yeah so from from mass until evening prayer, which was at 545, um it was kind of up to your up to yourself. Uh, how would, how would you manage your time? At 545, we go back to the chapel for Vespers and community. And then six o'clock uh, dinner every Tuesday, we would have conferences. Um, and it would be either the rector's conference one week. Um, then we would have advising groups. So each seminarian has a priest that he meets with at least once a month to sort of keep tabs on things and until yep. the right. formation goals, discuss that. So, um, we would meet everyone who had that priest as an advisor would meet in groups and we would talk about um our experience in our apostolates, uh our experiences in uh, in the seminary or out in the parish and kind of sh- right. have a almost a sharing of graces or a sharing of experience. Right. Um, and that was intergrade. So there'd be first theologians with fourth theologians, deacons with with the younger guys. So it was a very good thing to kind of keep keep uh, in touch with guys and, and to uh, almost it was a formal setting for advice giving um, which happened a lot informally but it was a good place for it kind of to right. come up right. Right. and then we'd have class meetings as well so like at once a month we'd have all of four theology we'd get together and we'd have mm-hmm. a, a conference on on mm-hmm. a particular thing that would was mm-hmm. pertinent to four theology
1: right right how many men were in your class
2: there was ten of us, um, so there were five diocesan seminarians and five religious
1: seminarians. So the seminary at Saint Joseph has both religious and what we call secular priests or diocesan priests working, studying side by side. That's interesting.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's um, it's 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 edifying, and we all have very different experiences. So like Benedict Rochelle's order, the CFRs oh, are yeah. there. And they're they're a, they're a whole nother level of of man uh, a guy they're they're all usually midwestern they're rough and tough they've been in formation
1: for eight 100 plus years, years. already hundred years
2: they're all they're all bald with long beards um, and they're they're just their zeal and their energy is almost unmatchable um, they have great love for for the Lord and First Church and so to study with them is a real privilege because a lot of the times those are guys. are like asking questions and you're like i never that never would have even crossed my mind um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then and then to see their piety because they've they've sort of mastered their their contemplative actives so they're kind of like monks out in the world um which is a good example for us as diocesan priests i think um so their their example of piety and prayer was very edifying and um kind of held the bar high for us Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um because our vocations Aren't entirely uh different. You know, they were called to serve sort of different people in different parts of lives, but the idea right. of to to bring
1: Christ to each person that we encounter is right. is very similar. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that. I have another question then. <laughs> and I'm gonna go back to my time in seminary, you know, in prehistoric era. And when I was going through the seminary, I had a very distinct understanding, present presumption. Right of what priesthood was gonna be like. And when I went into the parish, it threw me for a loop a little bit because it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. And that doesn't mean that it was bad. it just, it was different.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And for example, when we prayed like you in the seminary, prayed the office in common to make the transition when I was a diocesan, when I was newly ordained priest to pray most of the office alone, it took a while to make the shift, right? Because it, it's it's a beautiful experience to do it in common. And so those are the sort of things. It was just so now you're a priest, two months doing a great job by all accounts. So what surprised you in these last two months now that you're a priest?
2: <clears throat> yeah, people have been asking me that. What's what's surprised me? Um, and I it's been a it's been a tough. Thing to answer i think one of the i mean i knew it was going to happen um the beautiful thing about seminary is that i can go down the hall knock on my friend's door and like hang out with him for the day. I'd Be like hey what are you doing and i knew i was not going to have that because um all my classmates were from new york the new york diocese or rockville center um so they weren't going to be terribly close um so, so I kind of knew, you know, I, I'm, I'm blessed to be in a place where we have three priests uh, in the rectory, and uh, I know that's not the norm, but and we've made efforts, you know. So Monday yesterday, we um, we uh, prayed morning prayer together and went out and got breakfast because uh, that's sort of what works best with all of our schedules. Um, And so we've, we've, we've put it in the calendar, Mondays, 8am, this is what we do. Um, And so that reminds me of, of seminary. It's, it's very nice. I think, um, I think in the seminary, you know, you're just living with so many people that you're just, there's always something to do and you're always active. And uh, as a priest, uh, I've found like, When I'm, when I'm busy, I'm busy, like running around like crazy. And then when the, when kind of things settle down, it's like, okay, uh, now what do I do? And, you know, I can always find something to tinker with, um, or, you know, that's a, that's a great time to pray or prepare a homily, but it's, um, I would say that the distinction between the, the downtime and the busy time
1: is so much more vast uh, in the the parish, Oh, yeah. yeah, without doubt. Uh, when I heard my very first confession, for real, I was petrified, terrified, absolutely terrified. And I was in what I used to call the box, so at the little sliding door in my first parish. Yeah. And I knew I somebody came in, and I said, "Lord, please let it be easy, please." <laughs> and i slid the door open and the rest was history so you say you hear a lot of confessions did you have any apprehension when when it was real like it was real the real thing versus the practical
2: My uh my first few confessions um you know because up until that point the only confession that you've really heard is your own Uh uh-huh right so well said Mm -hmm. so i was like i don't I'm going to find out if I've been going to confession wrong. Um, So like the, the the amount of very different intros that that people have, have said, or uh, the different act of contrition. It's like, it's made me think about how I go to confession. But I remember the first few confessions I was sitting there and I was just thinking like, Oh my gosh, this person is really telling me this.
1: Exactly. Right. This is real. This
2: is the real deal. This (laughs) is real. Like there's a level of trust. Uh, there that I was like, I haven't earned, and I don't deserve this um and that was a real moment that was you know, other than celebrating the mass, hearing confessions is like a place where it's like, I am not father la. uh Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit have taken over, and it is only through them and with them that. Uh, I could, I remember when I you know, absolve people. I'm just like, I don't know how this is happening, but thanks be to God.
1: Yeah, that, that it does you, happen. Yeah. you
2: are forgiven.
1: It's humbling. It's very humbling really. to think that a frail, sinful person <clears throat> can be the vehicle of the liberation and forgiveness that God gives. Right? It's yeah. amazing. It really is an amazing thing. How about celebrate? Your first mass, I understand, was quite <laughs> the celebration. Is this true? Oh, you heard about that? <laughs> I, I've even seen pictures. I've even seen pictures. Tell us about it.
2: <laughs> it was beautiful. It was uh, on the Solemnity of Pentecost. Um, so we had, uh, you know, my home pastor, Father Marcelo at St. Catherine's, is is very good to me. And he has deep care and love for the liturgy. And that's part of also why I think I've I've been formed in that. Um, so we, it was beautiful. We had, um, maybe 15 or so high school and college aged male servers, you know, all in casting surplus. They, they loved it. We had beautiful music. It was, uh, the mass setting was Mozart's Sparrow mass. Um, and then, um, yeah, it was just a really, really beautiful mass. We, we sung as much as we could. Um, I had I had told Father Marcelo the guiding principle I wanted was not to be a, a celebration of Father Lameter is, is a new priest, but I want it to be a celebration of thanks be to God, Jesus Christ is alive, he's risen, he is still present in his church, mm-hmm. and the church is very much alive. So that's kind of what I wanted to express um through the liturgy.
1: So you did not preach your first mess. Father Marcello preached, is that correct? Father Marcello preached, yeah. And he um he did a fantastic job. He
2: talks, you know, a little bit about my vocation story. From and you know, he knows me very well. He's known my family for a very long time, uh, and he also preached on, uh, you know, uniparous you Sarah always forward and and the you know like as as you preached at your ordination homily, he brought in John Henry Newman. yes. yes. Um, so it was a beautiful moment that we we both wanted to take advantage of of to promote vocations and to emphasize the real presence.
0: Yeah, good. Excellent. Excellent. Excellency. Can I say... Yes, so, of course you may. A, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about uh, Desiderio, Desideravi, and um, uh, the way some priests almost like present the Mass, like it's their show, and just watching, uh, uh, being there when uh, Father Lomnitzer offers Mass, it is... He, you sit there and you can really see that this priest is just praying just deep in prayer. It is awesome to be there for that.
2: Thank you for that compliment.
0: Well,
1: it does not surprise me. And I think it's true for Father, it's true for the the deacons that that I ordained who will be priests next year. Um, it's, it's, we are blessed with young men of tremendous caliber. And quite frankly, as I've said before, while I would want many priests, I want holy priests. The number is not as important as the depth of life and and spiritual understanding and transparency of grace, because God really does everything. Just like you said. Mm-hmm. god does everything in me end not us we're just instruments right and we're all frail my goodness gracious right? i don't want you to get too uh too much in the head <laughs> right because don't worry end, oh no well, you know the people of god are good because they tell us the truth all the time <laughs> all the time so so now in these two months now it's summertime so things are kind of little quiet, no, I guess. Even at St. Mary's, people are on vacation. People. So what are you busying yourself with these days? Yeah, I've been going um, on a lot of
2: sick calls. Most of my meetings have kind of been spontaneous. Um, So um, a lot of people have been asking for the anointing of the sick. I've been getting to know a lot of the nursing homes and hospitals in the area. Um, Just the other week, uh, a lady came in. wanting to talk to a priest and uh I was around so um we we sat and had a conversation um so it's it's really kind of just been that
1: idea of, I, of openness I, and availability um I, presence, presence. yes yeah. you know may I offer you some uh, spiritual advice please um when you go to visit the sick if time permits and sometimes it doesn't but if time permits, ask the person to tell them, to tell you the story of their life, Mm -hmm. share the stories of them. Some of the most beautiful, poignant experiences I had when I was pastor at St. Dominic's was not in any great fanfare. It was in those moments when people just told me, in fact, one man in particular the great struggles of his life, coming as an immigrant, building a life for his family. But it was so beautiful to see the faith in that. You know, and I don't yeah. think in the end, we because we are so busy, we don't often, you know, as my sister says, you don't stop and smell the roses mm-hmm. sometimes because of everything going on. But I would suggest, and that's true for everyone, even those listening to the podcast, because it doesn't have to be a moment of anointing or holy communion. It could be anything. Ask people to tell their stories, right, particularly those who are older, because we have a lot to learn from them, a lot to learn from them. That echoes what we talked about last week, or two weeks ago, Steve,
0: about the elderly. Hmm? Yes, right, exactly, yep, last week. Right.
1: right. So, Father, do you have any time off? Did I give you time off? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> you did you did oh, right thank after you great thank right God. after ordination i had i had a few weeks oh my gosh well you have a great parish saint mary's tremendous and oh, we yeah. just renovated the church they just completed the renovation it's right. beautiful that uh i was i was put here
2: right after all the hard work was done
1: i know <laughs> monsignor oh. royal is a phenomenal priest wonderful pastor <clears throat> I really did a lot of work to bring what Monsignor Bronkowitz had started, which was a long time in the coming to bring the church. To... But I think the church looks beautiful. Yeah, I know. Steve, would you agree?
0: Uh, yeah, I love it. It's uh, it's beautiful. I love the new spaces in there. And I was thinking, Father, uh, when you were talking about, you know, going from seminary to parish life and how someone's always around in the seminary and you're like, hey, what's up? What are you doing? And it reminds me of going from college to work life. Um, one of the things you always want when you land in a new job uh, is a mentor. And just to think like you get Monsignor Royal.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and that's something that the Bishop and I had always talked about. And in the first assignments, you know, the most important thing is, is the priest that you're assigned with because um, you know, Everything that I'm gonna to learn to be a priest, these habits that I'm gonna pick up or not pick up, uh, I'm gonna learn from Monsignor Royal. So I'm, I've known him since I was uh, in the minor seminary, John Fisher. So it's been, um, it's been great living with him and uh, watching him work um, and to to learn how to be a priest uh, from someone who's you
1: know a seasoned vet, in a sense. He can provide that person that you could turn to when you have a question, similar to what you described with the your seminary and friends, or your classmates in the seminary. Just turn that Yeah, Exactly. Okay, so now I have to make a commercial plug. <clears throat> um, I was in quarantine a few weeks ago. I'm in quarantine now, so it's I've got a lot of time. I have a lot of time on my own, except for, you know for the for the things we can do technologically. Anyway, I have stumbled upon a BBC show that I had never heard of before called
0: Father Brown. Have you seen it, Steve? Have you seen it, Father? Is that that G.K. Chesterton's
3: Father
0: Brown?
3: Yes. Ah. Yeah, great.
0: Yeah,
1: and let me tell you what I find fascinating about that show. It's certainly very well done, but a lot of what we we spoke about echoes in the show for a secular audience because he constantly speaks about redemption and the opportunity to seek God's forgiveness and mercy. And he speaks about God's presence in the, in the church, you know, and and particularly in the Eucharist. And I thought to myself, it's for that sort of catechesis to occur in secular television in this day and age is remarkable. Oh, it yeah. really is remarkable. But it is all about presence in the end, which is exactly what you were talking about being present to your people and loving them and everything else falls into place. I am grateful that you followed what the Lord asked. Father, I think you will be a wonderful, wonderful priest for many, many more years to come. I'll be long gone. (laughs) When you're my age, I'll be a dim memory. But nonetheless, (laughs) it's one of the greatest privileges I have as a bishop is to ordain priests. So. I thank you for coming on the show and thank you for, for, for saying yes to your vocation. No, thank you. And I, yeah. I just want to say thank you again for all your support. Oh yeah, definitely. That's what I'm here for. I'm your spiritual father. Absolutely.
0: Steve. <clears throat> we're we're going to take a, one more break ah. before we officially say goodbye to uh, Father Lamnitzer. But um, what a great conversation about seminary formation and the life of a young priest. Um, This is let me be frank on the veritas catholic network we'll be back with a listener question after the break i'm steve lee from veritas catholic network and i just want to tell you quickly about the connecticut catholic men's conference i've been going to this annual event for the past five years or so and it's just a fantastic day this year the conference is on saturday september 24th at northwest catholic high school in west hartford it's an easy trip from anywhere in Connecticut and you'll be happy you went to spend the day with hundreds of your Catholic brothers, fellow men who are striving to be good fathers, strong husbands, and faithful Catholics. The theme this year is the Most Holy Eucharist and the speakers are gonna be Bishop Frank Caggiano, Father Wade Menezes, Father Larry Richards, and Father Chris Alar. Men, it doesn't get much better. There's also gonna be Mass, Adoration, Confession, and Fellowship. Again, It's September 24th, and you can go online to get more information or to register. The website is ctcatholicmen.org. Hope to see you there. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with uh, Bishop Frank Caggiano. So, Excellency, we got in um, an email. I think there's a question in there somewhere that we can draw out of it, but let me just read the email to you, and, and you can give your answer so here's what it says. I recently attended a funeral and the priest announced before communion that only practicing Catholics should present themselves. When one relative of the deceased went up, the priest loudly asked, do you go to mass every week? She said no, and he would not give her communion. This seemed harsh and inappropriate, a funeral and a wedding for that matter, are good opportunities to invite people back to church, but this priest did the opposite.
1: Right. So basically it is a a questioning of the methodology of the priest. And again, I think there are many different ways to answer that sort of situation. I, for my part, always want it to be an opportunity for um, conversion and for dialogue right our obligation is to effectively preach and teach the gospel not just te- teach it or preach it for the satisfaction of having said it so at the risk of being judgmental I think the priest while his heart was in the right place was not thinking through embarrassing someone in public how that would make that person receptive to what he would want to say to the person about the need to go to mass every Sunday In other words, to quote my mother, he cut his nose to spite his face. Hmm. So I I would never do something like that, personally. After Mass, if the occasion arises to speak to the person. But the truth of the matter is, I'm a priest 35 years. I've never asked anybody on a communion line, did you go to Mass on Sunday? That's not the point of the communion line. (laughs) I mean, right?
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, to publicly embarrass somebody. Makes no
1: sense. It's actually unjust, in my in my, in my opinion. That, that, anyway, so you get my point. I think the priest um, did the opposite of what perhaps his heart wanted to do. Yeah. Never do it again. If you're one of my priests, don't do it again.
0: <laughs> if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network, and we would like to thank our wonderful sponsor, Foundations in Faith. It's a grant from the Saint Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring "Let Me Be Frank" to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. And Father Colin Lamnitzer. Thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me, Steve.
1: Thanks for having me, uh, Bishop. Always good to talk with you. Oh, yeah, Steve. absolutely. And I'm going to ask you to do the blessing today. Oh, sure. How does that work? <laughs> well, just offer whatever blessing you like. <laughs> sure. In the name of the
2: Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, you sent your only begotten son into this world to take on flesh and to be with us and to save us from our sins. He willingly gave himself up for us on the cross, leaving with us the gift of his mercy, the gift of his blood and the gift of his body present in the Eucharist so that we may have a relationship with him here on earth. So that we may be united with him forever in eternity. We ask you that this truth, this beauty, and this, good of your love for us may be expressed in every action of our lives and we pray today on Tuesday the intercession of blessed Saint Teresa Benedict of the cross that we may be a witness to truth and to love in this world love that was exemplified by your son on the cross and we ask this through all things through Christ our Lord amen
1: amen in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, you stay well. Keep up the good work, Steve. I'll see you next week. Thanks,
0: I'll see you too. Ciao. See you down the hall, Father. <laughs>